Welcome to the Young, Wild, Financially Free podcast, an audio experience where we don't just talk about it, we live it. Mm, Yalo, everybody. My name is Andrew Roberts, and I'm sitting across the table from none other than the bearded man himself, Mr. Matt Teifke. It is a BEA beautiful day here in Austin, Texas. The weather has uh, perked up, and it is officially springtime. Um, I'm super pumped about it. I want to just go outside and, and go hiking all day, every day. You guys go to the Green Belt quite a bit, right? Or- yeah, uh, not as much as we used to with the, having a baby, but right. it's, you're right, man. It's so nice today. Yeah, and George, your baby, he likes the outdoors too, right? He does. He likes going yeah. on walks. Yeah, he does. That's awesome. Today's episode is with another Austinite who I'm sure enjoys the Green Belt, um, Mr. Christopher Waters, who has, he just goes by Chris, but apparently there's some movie star out in California named Chris Waters mm-hmm. who didn't want to give up that URL, mm-hmm. um, that domain name. But you knew Chris before I did. How'd you guys first meet? That's funny because uh, it was through Craigslist. What? Yeah. So I was posting back in the day before... Craigslist started trying to charge a lot. I would post all the time for property management. Uh-huh. And his right-hand man, Vince, reached out and was like, man, looks like you're a hustler. Would love to have you come in. So we had two or three talks and looked at you know potentially partnering or seeing ways that we could work together. And it never worked out. But, um, you know, it's pretty cool doing this podcast because I had three meetings with Chris and they're really business focused. Yeah. Um, and so I felt like I kind of knew him, but I really didn't. Sure. And that was what was cool about the podcast is we really got to learn about him and dig in. Yeah. It's so interesting because, you know, I hadn't met him before, but I have obviously seen his billboards all around Austin and um, heard his ads on the radio. So you don't really know, you don't really know what to expect going into, you know, meeting someone like that. And it turns out he's just the coolest guy. Yeah. He's so nice and he's such a hard worker. We found out some really cool stuff about him that really the three of us related on. There was a lot of similarities between um, us three guys. Um, So it was really cool getting to know him. Yeah. He's the real deal, man. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. He's doing so good with, with the business with Waters International and they're growing and expanding. So all to say, that's, I mean, we're proud of him. He's doing a good job. Yeah, and for anyone listening, if you're in a, a market that they're not, I mean, it sounds like it could be a good potential franchise opportunity. I mean, and he's not slowing down anytime soon, so, yeah, yeah franchise opportunity. It's a sure. lead machine uh, that they've created, so if someone was a hustler and wanted to start their own brokerage, they know how to get the leads coming in. For sure, yeah. Um, well, all that to say, uh, Chris Waters was a delight, and I know you guys are going to enjoy this wonderful episode so please, without further ado, Mr. Christopher Waters. Chris, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks for having me on. Of course, yeah, man. So what we like to do with our podcast is we like to dive into people's personal story. And you, obviously, are a successful entrepreneur. Obviously, mm-hmm. you work in the real estate industry. So that's like right up our alley. Yep. So can you tell us maybe like a two or three minute elevator pitch or summary um, on your life? Kind of like where you're from? <laughs> yeah, sum it up in two or three minutes. Sure, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I grew up like pretty not I don't want to say I grew up poor like my mom was super smart you know she was a nurse but single mom and um so it's funny like my entrepreneurial spirit kind of started because of my mom when I was uh when I was 12 
you know, I couldn't get involved in, in any kind of like extracurricular sports because it costs money. Sure. So my mom started passing out. My, my, my mom recruited uh, my brother and they started passing out door hangers for a lawn business. Okay. And I was the one that had to do all the physical labor. <laughs> <laughs> my brother didn't help me either. Oh. Um, so anyways, they passed out the door hangers and um, I started taking care of all, you know, I, uh, they, my mom even was talking to people knocking on doors. It was pretty crazy. Anyways, she, I remember coming back and she's like, hey, I have three houses you need to start taking care of. They're, they're lawns on a weekly basis. I was like, okay. And I started doing it and um, I kind of started growing. I started, you know, mowing more and more yards. And um, I remember this guy uh, that had like a legit landscape and lawn care business came up to me and he said, hey, I'll make you a deal. You can keep all the money from the houses you're maintaining or whatever. Plus, you'll be able to use our equipment and we'll have the guys help you. Um, but the rest of your free time come help work for me. So I, I think I was, I, I was like 12 years old at this point. And, um, I was, you know, probably working like 10 hours a week. And when I went to go work for this guy, I started working 40 to 50 hours a week oh, wow. and, um, didn't scare me off. So I, I did that from the point of like 12 until I was like 15 and then, you know, got a job in, uh, uh, retail. I remember getting a job at, uh, circuit city. And did you grow up here in Austin, or where are you from originally? Yeah, originally I grew. Up, uh, yeah, I was born in Arlington, but I lived. I moved. My parents moved here uh, a couple months after I was born, so uh, I've been here most of my life. Cool. Um, and where'd you go to high school? I went to McNeil High School. Oh no way! Yeah. Oh man. Yeah. So we both went to Round Rock High School. Yeah. So competing high school. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So now dragons. we can't be friends anymore. So. Yeah. Well, <laughs> <laughs> I bet you know working this forty to fifty hours a week. Yeah, I mean. I'm assuming a lot of that was during the summer months. Too, yeah, so I mean, I was, I was in school, so I was in right. the summer for sure. Um, it didn't really fade. You know, I, I kind of enjoyed the work. Um, I think I started realizing I was, I kind of had the entrepreneurial DNA with my first retail job. I worked at Circuit City mm-hmm. um, in North Austin, and I got fired from Circuit City. Oh. So for anybody that has ever worked at Circuit City, the, the amazing benefit of working there is um, you got 60 to 70% off car audio equipment mm. and so in 99 i was in high school and uh working in circuit city and ebay popped up and so you know like i'm 16 years old i really didn't think anything of it i started buying uh car stereo equipment and posting on ebay <laughs> and awesome. yeah. making money right one day i got called into this um into this room with the store manager and this guy on the on the speakerphone and it was like a, um, it was like an interrogation. <laughs> I, I, I literally thought for a minute I was going to go to jail or something. Oh, and so uh, they pull up this long list of all this stuff I bought. It was like over $30,000 worth of car audio <laughs> equipment. And they're, and they're like, you haven't even made $30,000 here. How are you buying all yeah. this stuff? So I, um, I, I said, well, I've been buying it. I'm, I'm reselling it on, Craig, on, uh, on, on eBay. Uh-huh. And they're like, well, that's against our company policy and procedures. I was like, well, I had I had no idea. I don't even remember getting a policy and procedure manual. To be honest, I wouldn't have read it anyways. Right. So anyways, I get fired from that job. And then um, I went and got a job at Radio Shack and uh, did that for a couple of years. And then um, kind of a defining moment was my, um, my freshman year of college. I had the opportunity to go help a family member, my dad's brother, who I didn't really know growing up. Um, he, he had an engineering background. I'd never been an entrepreneur or business owner. 
And um, I had uh, met him before my senior year of high school, and he had bought a franchise for a company called Metal Supermarkets, selling metal. So steel, like the raw materials for companies like Machine Shops, General Electric, you know, places like that. Right. And um, so I learned like a ton from working with working with him for that one year. Uh, when you buy a franchise, you you know they kind of give you the operations manual for every department of a business. Mm-hmm. And so I lived in upstate New York my freshman year. Went to college part time. Froze my butt off. Gets to like negative twenty degrees yeah. in upstate New York. And so I. Um, after my first semester in college, I told myself there's no way I could stay up there, uh-huh. you know, another six months. So I had to think of how I was going to pay for college. And um, the only thing I knew how to do at that point was sell stuff on eBay and <laughs> mow yards. Nice. And um, I wasn't going to get a job at Circuit City again. You know, they weren't going to rehire me. Sure. <laughs> so, so anyways, I, I uh, you know, kind of built this business plan and I started a, um, a lawn care and landscape business. Took all the money I had saved and uh, bought all my equipment and whatnot. And, um, and at this point, you're back in Austin? Yep, moved okay. back. To, so I've spent all this, this time planning and buying stuff and getting everything ready. And then summer of 2003, started this lawn care and landscape business. And, you know, that kind of gave me everything I needed to get through college. And, I mean, I learned a tremendous amount from it. Um, you know, it was, it was a lot more than just mowing yards. I need, I had, I, you know, at one point I was managing like huge homeowners associations. I had, you know, some commercial contracts. Um, by my senior year, I wasn't even out in the field. I had a crew of people working. I decided to get out of that because uh, my senior year of college, I was taking my, um, uh, one of my, I was in one of my finance capstone classes. And my cell phone wouldn't stop ringing. It, it, like, I literally got like, I don't know, over, over a dozen missed calls. And I get done taking my test and I walk out and I'm like, oh man, thinking somebody died or something. Yeah. And um, I have these, uh, I have multiple voicemails from a sheriff telling me my uh, truck's going to be impounded. I'm going to go to jail. My guys are going to go to jail <gasps> and just basically scaring the shit out of me. And, um, that, you know, that was another little defining moment. I was like, well, you know, I think I should get into an industry where maybe I can um, hire, not hire quality talent. I don't want to like diminish the guys out there doing the hard work of taking care of people's homes, but, um, you know, get people that are college graduates where my, you know, immigration, all that kind of stuff isn't as, isn't as a big deal. And honestly, in in college, I I didn't even know I needed to research people's work visas. I didn't even have them on W2 salary. I was just 1099 in them as independent contractors. Uh So anyways, my senior year, I realized I, I wanted to, I needed to get into something else. Uh, wasn't like super passionate about the lawn care landscape business. It's just kind of just what you knew. Really. Yeah, yeah. And so are you uh, going to UT at that time? So I, I went to um, Texas State in San Marcos. Me too. Yeah. Nice. You yeah. love cats. That's cool. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. And your degree was in, would you say finance? Yep, finance. Okay, uh-huh. cool. Yeah. And what was the, so in your mind right now, you know, you have this company that mm-hmm. you're running, yep. but then you're also working towards a degree. Yep. So what was the, what the plan with that? Because um, you can see it from both angles, right? Someone who already has a business. Yeah. What's the point of going to school? Yeah. And so what, what was the goal with getting that degree? Reaching yeah. something else or getting a bigger business at that point? You know, I think part of it, it was probably like half guilt for my mom saying I needed a backup plan. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, the other half of me, I guess, tried to justify it saying I could use what I learned in uh, college from the finance perspective in business. I knew I wasn't going to go work for somebody when I graduated uh, just not in my DNA. Sure. And um, I, I ran on some job interviews, actually, my senior year. And this will probably sound way 
super egotistical, but I'd be sitting across from somebody in these job interviews and I would be thinking to myself, these people should be working for me. The the people I would meet didn't seem like they were, you know, empire builders, I guess. It's just, I don't know how to describe it. It's it's a weird feeling you get. Got into real estate uh, right out of college. I had a lawn mowing customer that had a team at a real estate brokerage and he recruited me and I was only there three to four months though. And, um, so one of, I think a lesson I would uh, share with any entrepreneur is to, even as you find success, however you define that, try to maintain as much humility and be as coachable as as possible. Because mm-hmm. uh, when I when I got into real estate, I you know had had some level of success. Uh, pay, I felt pretty good paying my way through college and all this stuff, and I sold my company and my lawn care business, and you know it all fin- it all finished pretty good. And, I was feeling pretty good about myself, and so when I was 21 and got in real estate, I was not very uh, humble or coachable, and so I, you know, I had a hard time taking direction from the team I was on. But with you know, with that being said, like it probably in the grand scheme of things wasn't the right place for me, anyways. And that's it. You know, it's an interesting balance when you first get into real estate for you know younger agents because a lot of people, what's attractive about it is that you kind of get to work for yourself, right? You're mm-hmm. Um, somewhat independent but then when you get into the real estate industry you really need to rely on other people and uh, build those relationships so it's mm-hmm. an interesting balance whenever you know you're in the beginning of your, your career really yeah hey Chris yeah. On, on that team can you kind of tell us like what you were doing and how that worked I started as a buyer's agent and um, I was working you know this is 2006 I was working internet leads and so part of my my struggle was um, you know in the first three to four months I think I sold uh, five or six homes. And, um, you know, I, I quickly realized like there was only so many deals I'd be able to close each month based off the amount of time you have to convert leads. So I didn't have kids, you know, I had no obligations. I was working, you know, I could work 24 seven, but I, I realized really quickly, um, there was, you know, it's a law of diminishing return. Uh, there's only so many deals I can close based off the amount of time it takes to close this specific lead source. Mm -hmm. And so I didn't have a huge database. I had all these lawn mowing customers, which that was kind of cool. I helped a couple people, you know, sell their homes. But, um, you know, I didn't have some massive database of thousands and thousands of people. And so um, in that moment, I was kind of like, well, I'm going to be at this five to ten years before I have a big enough database to build like something, you know, really, really big. And so I ended up uh, getting out of the industry completely, got into oil and gas, the oil and gas industry in 2006, uh, 2007. You know, that was a booming thing in 2007. So the, the price of um, natural gas in 2007 was like 13 bucks in MCF. And so just for context, like the price of natural gas now is like 2 to $3. So it was huge. It was, right. and the market was booming. And um, so uh, well, a guy I sold a house to recommended me to this broker. He said, Chris, you're, you know, 21 going on 22. Like, you should just learn as much as you can about the real estate industry. Who knows where your career is going to go? You can learn some stuff about the oil and gas industry. You are in Texas, after all, and it's a pretty big industry here. I um, was what's called a landman, and I did that for about two years, and I was completely miserable. And the entire time I was doing that, I was trying to find a way to get into something else and spent my evenings like researching and studying marketing lead gen search engine optimization you know the google algorithm for adwords kicked off like i think around 2004 2005 so yeah you know was just obsessed with it wasn't doing anything with it but um got obsessed with it and then 
natural gas market crash 2009 uh, i invested in a bar and restaurant nine months later that bar and restaurant went bust um, I lost every dollar to my name, oh, everything man. I had saved. And, uh, that was a, a very humbling point. Uh, and, um, I, after that bar and restaurant failed, I was sleeping on my girlfriend's couch and I said, I'm going to do whatever the hell it takes to find a way to be successful in real estate. Well, we, that, there's a lot there. Uh, but going back real quick, I'm curious what you didn't like about, you said you hated doing the landman work. What was it that, that you hated? So, you know, 80% of your job as a landman is researching title on property. So, you know, an oil and gas company like selects a site where they want to drill and you have to go uh, secure oil and gas leases with the owners of the mineral rights. And so you have to go back to when Texas was a republic and basically build a family tree of every parcel. And so think about when somebody dies, you know, like did they give a a piece to some heir or maybe some friend? You know, I I remember taking a lady a check for half a million dollars and she was in a um, assisted living home. I think she was in her late 80s and her great grandfather had reserved a I think it was a one sixteenth mineral interest in the Arlington Airport. And at that time, when her grandfather was using it as farmland, it, back in, the, I think it was the 1920s, 1930s, you know, it was two 50-acre tracks he was using for uh, farming. And he had reserved a little mineral interest, um, and so she got a huge benefit from that. Wow. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's just tons and tons of research. That's, you know, the, re- the research side is, um, you know, I don't know, it's probably, uh, it's probably fun for somebody that's like a big history buff, but... Um, not something. Yeah, that, I love history. Yeah, uh, I, I did kind of light yeah. up when you said that at the yeah. beginning, of the Republic. Yeah. Uh, here's my other question. So, on the restaurant, mm-hmm. um, was that your first time investing, and did, were you like working there? Because it seems, unless I missed it, you were always running it, and then you got into this investing part yeah. that kind of yeah. blew up. Yeah, I kind of fast forwarded through that. You asked me in two to three minutes to give <laughs> the elevator pitch. I know that's going, impossible. That's end. a trick question. I, I didn't have any experience in the bar and restaurant business, and there was a um, a loan officer that I knew from when I started in real estate, and um, I got to know this guy over the, over a couple of years' time, and um, he came from the bar and restaurant business. His his dad came here from Syria, and his dad started as a um, a bagger at a grocery store, and uh, saved his money, bought his first uh, car wash through owner financing, horrible terms, worked super hard, came to the country in the 1960s and uh, built an empire in Colleen, Texas. Mm. So he ended up owning multiple strip centers, apartment complexes, um, multiple car washes, convenience stores, laundry mats. I mean, he's it's he's got a little empire. So I, his son was an LO, loan officer in Austin. And uh, that's how I knew him uh, when I got started as an agent. And then uh, we became friends and you know, I made an investment as a passive investor, but I, I kind of quickly realized within the first uh, couple months, our work ethic were on two totally different, you know, in two totally different playing fields. So, mm-hmm. you know, I got more involved in the business. Um, you know, I remember getting called on a Saturday and uh, he called me and said, hey, we have to close the doors on a Saturday night on 6th Street. You know, that's we were on 6th Street, if you're familiar with 6th Street. We're at Sixth and Trinity, and he says we have to close the doors. We don't have any bartenders, and I'm thinking to myself, you can't close the doors on a Saturday night. Yeah. So I remember uh, uh, this was 2009. Um, you know, uh, I went on Facebook and I started looking up people that had um, 
uh, in their job title that they were bartenders. Mm. And I started sending out mass messages, uh, pinged uh, somebody I knew that um, uh, would bring party buses down to Austin. Mm. He actually got his uh, girlfriend, now wife, actually. And now, funny story, I got my um, now wife to come work <laughs> at the bar and restaurant. And I, I didn't know any of these people. Um, I didn't know the two girls that he had come help us. I realized uh, at that point, like, I had the wrong uh, business partner. Mm. And so we, um, you know, I got super involved in the business. And, uh, you know, summer of 2009, Dow Jones hit its absolute lowest. Uh, I think the Dow Jones was around 5,000. So I think it's at 25,000 now. So that was a uh, rough uh, summer. Um, I had gotten in the bar and restaurant business, even though I didn't know anything about it, because um, I had done some research, and historically, alcohol sales go up when the market goes down. Right. So it seemed it seemed safe to me, and it sound it seemed like oh, I'll just go all in on this, and uh, so I put all my eggs in this basket. And um, uh, we did really well the very first couple months, but then um, you know our, our our money maker was doing a lot of private parties, and we had a a lot of cancellations start coming in in the uh, month of May. So a lot of corporate um, companies started canceling their parties and our sales dropped 30% in May, 40% in uh, June, another 50% in August. And by October, we were totally bust. Yeah. Yikes. Well, so before we kind of get to, to present day, I want to go back a little bit and um, it's kind of in my nature in these podcasts to get a little bit deeper. But so Matt and I are both, uh, we're both raised by single moms. I know that uh, having a single mom um, and not having a dad around, I kind of wanted to work hard to potentially maybe take care of her later on in life. True. And then also, like, without a dad being there, it's kind of like I had something to prove. Mm-hmm. Um, I was wondering if that was a similar story to you about kind of what gave you your drive and your work ethic and then yeah. what also kind of made you not want to work for someone else, that you kind of wanted to, you know, really make your own path. You know, I guess if you think about the DNA of an entrepreneur, you know, you've got to have a little bit of something inside of you that says, you know, I don't want any any controls or limitations on how fast or how far I can grow. Um, so whether I had a single mom or not, like that's just something ingrained in me is I just I can't be involved in anything where there's any limitations regarding the, the prove yourself thing. Yeah, I mean, sure. You know, I I mean, I was when I'm 12, 13, 14, 15 and all the kids are uh, enjoying summer, you know, I'm working 40 hours a week. And um, I mean, even till this day, I'm 35 now. If I go in the sun, I, I have I have like a permanent um, <laughs> farmer's tan around my <laughs> shoulders awesome. and neck. So, I mean, for sure, there's definitely an, an element of uh, proving yourself. Um, and also, I'm sure seeing like, you know, in high school, you know, working that much. Um, and seeing, because I know that Matt and I both had jobs in high school as well, and, you know, seeing our other friends, you know, not having to work, even through college, you know, I, I was a bartender through college, and I couldn't stand seeing, you know, my, you know, fellow classmates and stuff like that come in that didn't have a job, that, you know, their parents were paying their way through college, which, you know, I mean, to each his own, and, you know, if they, you know, good for them, that's awesome that their parents were able to do that, but I had some sort of a resentment towards them, mm-hmm. and also, at the same time, I kind of had, like... Maybe this sort of sense of entitlement that, like, you know, I'm working harder than you. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was something that I kind of still carry today. Yeah. So. Yeah, I think that's probably within all of us. Sure. Yeah. 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 It's hard not to hate the kid that doesn't have to work and gets the fancy car and all the toys. Right. Yeah. So let's jump back to today. Um, so, well, actually, let's jump back to the point where you're on the couch 
mm-hmm. and you're thinking, you know, I got to make my own way in real estate. Yep. How did you, was it just like, hey, I'm going to renew my license and start hustling or, or what was that process like? When I graduated college, what I, what I realized was the more time I spent prospecting and building a pipeline of leads and developing that pipeline, you know, the more money I was going to make. So I had that early observation in that first four months in real estate. And so when the bar and restaurant closed, um, I, um, you know, put the pedal to the metal. I worked my database called every single person I know, uh, started asking for referrals, uh, and, you know, just started, you know, spending an exorbitant amount of time prospecting on the phone and, and developing a pipeline. And then, um, probably 2011, I, um, found uh what's called expired listings i found uh found out about this thing called well actually that's not true uh one of the way one of the reasons i i left that real estate team in the first three to four months was i was only supposed to be working buyer leads Uh, i was going through all these classes and training outside of the company i was with and they told me you know you need to get listings to last in the business and so the team leader was trying to keep me focused and I understand what he was trying to do at the time. I understand that now, but I didn't understand it then. And so I remember one weekend when I was at this real estate company, I started prospecting expires back in 2006, 2007. And, um, I, uh, cold called somebody's, you know, they had their house in the market, failed to sell, went and met them, got the listing signed. And I was like, man, that's easy. So I turned that listing in the day I quit and I said, you guys can keep the listing and uh, I'm not going to stay here. And no. so I got out of the, in- and I got out of brokerage altogether. Yeah. So uh, I, I share that nugget with you because in 2011, when I like discovered this software that helps compile all the expires and pulls phone numbers for you, I started spending an exorbitant amount of time prospecting that list. And in 2010, 2011, there were a lot of expires, even in Austin, we were having, you know, thousands of homes failed to sell. So I hired a sales coach to kind of help hone in my skills with the um, the inside sales comp- component of setting appointments, and then I also you know also got help with just kind of refining the actual sales process of when you meet with somebody, how you get them committed to working with you, and everything just started compounding. We went from you know 100 sales to you know over 300 sales in less than three years, netted a million bucks after all expenses, and um, you know two years later got to a point where the business was uh, pretty self-sustaining, and I could actually step out of the company and it began running itself. So we scaled really fast and it was, was, you know, it's been a really exciting journey to say the least. Yeah. Now I know that, and a lot of people have, you know, seen your face on billboards, heard your name on the Bobby Bones show. Why, who told you that doing that kind of marketing um, was going to be, you know, the key to success? And when did you decide to, I guess, maybe take that step? Yeah, so 2012, uh, expired started slowing down a little bit. Um, not a great deal, but they started slowing down a little bit. Uh, I, I needed to find more outlets to generate more leads. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I was in a very, I was still in, even though I was making really good money, I was pouring it all back into the company and just trying to just grow, 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 grow. And um, I was very humble. I was, I was paying, you know, I've, I've had tons of coaches over the last uh, nine, nine years. I had a coach tell me that um, if I wanted to uh, grow really fast, I needed to find a way to get my message out to tens of thousands of people mm-hmm. and do it consistently. 
And so, you know, when you're uh, marketing a local business, um, you know, radio, TV, and, and billboards are very effective. You know, it's, it's just really about dialing in your client acquisition costs and making sure that, you know, it's a profitable formula, even integrating those types of mass media into your, into your marketing. So 2012, I started testing um, radio. You know, it went really good, and I just kept, uh, kept adding every single year adding more radio stations, adding more TV stations, adding more billboards. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, and then, and, and then I kind of realized like we kind of hit this, you know, this point, this inflection point where it's kind of like diminishing return. I I couldn't do anything else in the Austin market. Um, you know, I could, you know, I could go from spending half a million to a million. My business would not grow by double. It would be, it'd grow by maybe five to 10%. So, you know, that, that's kind of when I realized like we needed to start uh, scaling nationally and uh, start growing um, way outside of Austin. Gotcha. So because I'm sort of a, a marketing nerd, so to speak, I love mm-hmm. I love that stuff. And I always think about, you know, the end buyer's attention. We listen to uh, or did listen to the Gary Vee podcast quite a mm-hmm. bit. And um, that's what he talks about a lot is just, you know, um, the your audience's attention or your target yep. market. And so is that still uh, consistent today with those forms of uh, marketing as far as radio, television, billboard, stuff like that? Is that still something that you guys are seeing success from or where else have, what other avenues have you taken? Yeah. So, you know, it's like you just said, it's, it's really about your, your target audience. So when you're uh, building a real estate brokerage, you're targeting homeowners. And so typically the middle of the bell curve of homeowners are over 40 years old. Uh, and then, you know, as they, if you go like north of 50, 60 years old, like that target audience, uh, that's a lot of sellers that need to sell their home. You know, that audience, even though they're adopting Facebook, they still read the newspaper. Like they still want to read the newspaper on Sunday. So these old school, you know, old school medias, if you will, uh, radio, TV, billboard, direct mail, et cetera, they all work, but you really have to, you know, there's a formula to each of those campaigns between both your message, your frequency, you know, how, how you get the, um, the ads configured and, um, they absolutely work. You just got to make sure you do a great job monitoring your client acquisition costs and you can be a year round, um, advertiser using those mediums if you can dial it in. Very cool. So, uh, I guess talk to us about current day. Like what, what does the business look like? How many markets are you in and what are you thinking this next year is going to look like? Well, 2013 and 2014, a lot of people like started saying, Hey, Chris, you guys grew really fast. We haven't met anybody uh, in the last, you know, I had coaches and these like influencers in the industry start saying like, we've never met anybody in the last 30, 40 years that has, has grown a team to net a million bucks over 300 transactions in a single year in less than three years. And, um, you know, they said, you know, you should start sharing your message. And so started quietly kind of helping people. Um, you know, like just for free in 2013 and 14. And, you know, it helped out a lot of people, the ones I was helping. And uh, in, in 2015, I had the opportunity to partner with somebody in Amarillo, Texas. And um, basically, uh, she was a, an agent in Amarillo. She had been an agent for almost 10 years and she had hit a cap. She could never break 30 sales. And um, I knew she was like a super hard worker, had a, you know, servant's heart. And, um, I, I, you know, I approached her and I said, hey, what if I put up half the cash, you put up half the cash, and I really help you kind of copy and paste what I've done in Austin. And in 2015, in her first full year, she tripled her business. She went from 30, you know, 25 to 30 deals to just under 100. And um, so at the end of that year, I was like, man, I think we're onto something here. And so in 2016, 
I met somebody in San Antonio and we did the same thing. And he grew even faster in San Antonio than in Amarillo. He got to uh, 20 to 25 closings per month in less than 18 months. And then, you know, I started doing some research, studying, you know, like, uh, you know, how much money would I have to raise to, you know, take this all over the U.S.? And I had some, like, you know, rough Excel models, and it was, you know, going to be north of 60 million bucks to go scale and have, you know, go the corporate expansion route. And um, I went and met, like, a couple of venture uh, venture capital groups, and, you know, they were, a lot of them were explaining to me, you know, like, their money is to help get me to a very defined point. And, um, you know, and then they want to exit. And so, you know, I was, my fear was always that um, I would be at the mercy of somebody else's control uh, around the future direction of the business. Mm -hmm. So I decided not to go that path. And um, I had, at about that same time, I read a very, one of the best books I've read called Zero to One by Peter Thiel. And he says, if if you're going to go into an existing industry, that is out there, you need to either improve on the existing business by 10x or you need to create an entirely new category in the space. So an example would be like bullet coffee. So coffee has been around for decades and decades, but bullet coffee, uh, it's not about the coffee. It's about getting you in ketosis to lose weight. Right. Um, so they created a new category in the coffee industry and now it's a billion dollar company. Mm-hmm. So when I read that, you know, at first it was demoralizing because there was I couldn't think of any way to improve uh, the real estate industry by 10x without basically just eliminating realtors, and I you know I don't think the I don't think that's going to happen anytime soon. And the process of buying and selling a home is super complex. It's not as simple as buying something on eBay. You have a lot of parties involved uh, between the banks, title companies, issuing insurance policies, and you know you guys know this. All right. I bought all the uh, franchise manuals for the real estate industry. So KW, Remax, Sotheby's, you know, all of them. I bought all the franchise manuals. There's almost two dozen of them. As I was reading through their uh, franchisee agreements, franchise disclosure documents, and kind of understanding how their businesses worked, what I kind of realized is most of the franchises are um, set up where they really just focus on getting the franchisor to be hyper-focused on agent count. So just get as many agents as you can in the door. The franchisor gives you a bunch of shiny objects to help you recruit people. And then and then some of the franchise systems have an upsell opportunity for the franchise um, or in franchisee to make money by selling stuff to their existing agent base. So it's, it's an amazing business model because you can open up a brokerage and you have no marginal ex, you know increase in expenses whether you have 50 agents or 100 agents. Um, so, you know, it's, it's awesome. I mean, most businesses, you go from 50 people to 100 people, your expenses, you know, double. Right. Um, so that's cool and all, but, you know, the downside of that is it bleeds, it, it, you know, it creates a lot, of, um, a lot of mediocrity. The thing that always inspired me about this, more of this like team model approach, and I, I hate using the word team model, it's more like a, a, a corporation. It's like everybody has very defined roles and responsibilities and their systems and processes in place, you know, that, uh, made a lot of sense to me. And that's the, uh, kind of the model we had in place. And so when I, when I noticed every single franchise system out there was not focused on agent productivity, unless it was an upsell, it was kind of a light bulb moment. And I said, okay, I, I, I have a system and an operating manual to help people, uh, implement this kind of team organizational model 
and help them do it really quickly, help them, you know, have, have a lot of success very fast. And, um, uh, it's not about them going and recruiting a hundred or 200 or 300 realtors. They only need to get, you know, 20 to 25 agents, um, over a course of several years. So in 2017, I hired a, an attorney to get us licensed and, uh, get everything submitted to the FTC. And we sold our first franchise in uh, clean Texas, which wow. is kind of funny. Yeah. Um, and, um, the guy's been massively successful. Went from zero to 110 closings in 10 months from February to December of last year. Wow. You know, on track to increase his business by like another 200% or something this year. That's awesome. And so we um, uh, really started like, you know, pushing the franchise and advertising it in the fall of 2018. Mm-hmm. And so um, since we started pushing it, we uh, onboarded somebody in um, Albuquerque, New Mexico. Um, this month we've got um, uh, Toronto, Canada launching and uh, Denver, Colorado. And then some other people in the pipeline are in El Paso, Texas, Indianapolis, a couple other provinces of uh, Canada. Um, so yeah, now it's really starting to really starting to take off. That's awesome. So the plan is to take over the world. Yes, exactly. <laughs> That's awesome, man. That's very cool. One franchise at a time. Yeah, right? yeah. So, I mean, a lot of people can see, like, over the last uh, few years or so, uh, what you guys have done and how yep. fast you guys have grown, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and they can say, for lack of a better term, like, overnight success, sort of. Yep. But I look at your story now that, you know, we've been sitting down and talking for half an hour or so and uh, see that your success came from whenever you were 12 years old. You know, mm-hmm. it, it was a, you know, domino effect until today yep. and those failures that you went through with you know well i guess you could say a failure was you know sell, maybe selling the business the mm-hmm. lawn business mm-hmm. choosing not to work in real estate choosing mm-hmm. not to be um, a landman yep. and then and then the bar obviously mm-hmm. but all those you know led up to to i mean those are lessons that you learned and led up to the success that you've had today yeah absolutely yeah everyone was a domino yeah. to get to where it is where yeah. we are today yeah well, uh, one question before we close out um, is of you know your whole story. Obviously, we've seen challenges, but what's like the biggest uh, challenge that you would um, attribute to your success and I guess who you are today? Um, biggest challenge that would attribute to my success today. Uh, well, the biggest challenge was um, uh, going from a 23, 24 year old that was traveling all the time. And probably if you were watching my Facebook page at the time, you'd see photos all over the place. Uh-huh. And then uh, in, in a very short time period, go to sleeping on a couch and being basically homeless. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was a very challenging time. Um, it was, you know, super humbling. Uh, I, had, I mean, I even had too much pride to go live at my mom's house. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I think uh, I think sometimes like, you know, for us, I, shoot, for probably any entrepreneur, I think these humbling moments are good reminders that we all need to be um, uh, constantly learning and trying to grow and get better. And um, surrounding, you know, there's, uh, I think it's um, Think and Grow Rich, Napoleon Hill said, you're the average of the five people you spend the most time with. Yeah. And so I think you got to constantly be upgrading the people you surround yourself with and um, uh, remaining humble and uh, coachable to, um, you know, help you along your path. Awesome. I yeah, I love it. Good way to good way to close out the podcast. Uh, Chris, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Yeah, um, man. We really enjoyed hearing your story and get to know you a little bit better. 
So. Glad to be on. Yeah, sure. Appreciate it.